Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Well, I'm excited as we get into this morning's message, Family Drama. We're starting a brand new series today, and man, we're going to have some fun exploring the mess of other families. Who's thankful we're not talking about your family today? Come on. It's about time we talk about some other people. Let's talk about their messes. And so what we're going to do for the next three weeks together is we are going to not turn to online articles or self-help books. We are going to turn to Scripture, God's inspired, authoritative word. And I promise you, you are going to leave here every Sunday walking out, and you're going to say, you know what? My family's not that bad. <laughs> if that family was that jacked up and they made it to Scripture, there is hope for my family. There is hope for my marriage. But really, it's, it's going to be exciting. And what I want you to know on the front end is, We're not going to discover together ways by which we can avoid drama in our lives and in our families, but rather as believers, as people who have been transformed by the gospel, new creations in Christ Jesus, how we might manage and navigate the tension and the drama that will inevitably happen. And so I just don't want to set you up and then let you down, everybody. I am not going to give you three easy steps to avoid drama in your family. That's not going to happen, but rather, we are going to discover three truths about God over the next three weeks, and as we discover these truths about Him, as we navigate the family drama, we are going to realize how we can navigate it as a new creation, as one who says, there's peace over me. Their God is bigger than the waves, than the roar, than the storms. So all of us have drama. Let's just come to the table this morning and just say with me, I've got drama. Go ahead. I've got drama. We've got it. We've all got drama. A lot of times the drama in our families, it's not so much from just the big life-changing moments, although those come. I want to talk more about the moments where you come home from work annoyed because of what happened at work, and your family was fine until you walked in the door. And suddenly there's drama because you brought work into the door and didn't leave it at the driveway. And now there's drama. Or you're putting your kids to bed and they say, hey, Dad, just so you know, I had a project. I know about it for a month. It's due tomorrow. I didn't start it yet. You laugh because you know it's drama. Okay, what are we going to do? First, you're going to live outside now. We're going to figure it out outside. Or you put the food in the oven for a hungry family, but you forget to turn the oven on. I'm not speaking from personal experience, somebody. And you got a whole bunch of hangry people. And then you just dominoes. Thank the Lord there's dominoes. We get here in seven minutes, right? Hangry people, hungry people, angry people, sad people, upset people, people, people. Where there are people... There is going to be, say it with me, drama. It's just going to happen. So how do we navigate it? So I have a seven-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter, and we are realizing more and more, my wife and I, that we are a family of big emotions. We just get loud. We just, we are not, we're just not a quiet family. We've been at, we're like, some of you, you navigate sickness. You get sick. Everybody withdraws, quiet naps. We yell at each other. We just, that's how we do it in our house. We're upset. We're sick. We're angry. We got big emotions. And my little girl, my princess, five years old, since she was born, I've always called her my Cece Bear. She's been my Cece Bear. And I've realized that by giving her this nickname of Bear, she's living up to it, somebody. You know her, she's fierce. Like, I'm not concerned about anybody messing with her at school. I'm concerned the principal's going to call and say, yeah, Cece beat up another kid today. Like, she, she'll hold her own. She's, she knows what she wants. And I love her. 
And recently, she started this new expression of her feelings. You know, she has an older brother, so if you're a younger sibling, you can relate to this. She's trying to talk, and he's talking over her. She wants to pick the movie, and he always gets to pick the movie. They, they want to pick a family game, and she feels like, I never get to pick the game. So something new she's been doing is in that moment when she feels that way, she'll go off into her room, she'll close her door, and behind this door, you just hear this perfect, beautiful, heartbreaking scream cry. No one loves me. My family hates me. And I'm on the other side of the door doing what we're doing, kind of laughing at the same time. Kind of like, what is going on here? And so we, I see that in her, and it got me thinking that it's not only my five-year-old girl who expresses no one loves me. Be honest for a minute. Anyone here ever felt like no one loves them? Yeah. We'd be Pentecostal. Two hands up and a good amen. Come on. <laughs> right? Just, we all feel that way at times. No one loves me. You feel like I'm not wanted in this home. I'm not heard. I'm not listened to. I'm not appreciated. Give you some scenarios. You make a nice dinner for your family and everyone sits down, but nobody says thank you. Right? You just, you're talking to your spouse and they're on their phone. You're like, I'm going to throw that phone and I'm going to throw you. <laughs> not listen to you, you. You're home and someone comes home into the house, a student, a child, your spouse, a friend, and they just start unloading. They're venting about their day. You're saying, man, I wish I could just talk about my day. Feel unheard. It's like you got no problem spending a whole bunch of time with your friends, but for some reason you don't spend time with me. Feel unloved, feel unwanted, feel not appreciated, unheard. So that's a feeling we're going to talk about today. In fact, over this course of this series, we're going to explore three feelings that we might have, but I want to show you how those feelings lead to actions and then how a truth about God meets us in that feeling. Does that make sense? So the feeling of unloved would most likely lead to an action of withdrawal. If you feel unloved or disconnected from a friend, a family member, a spouse, you're going to withdraw and you're going to decide, I have my interest, she has her interest, and we just don't seem to be interested in the same thing. So we'll live together, we'll make it work, but we're disconnected. Or you might become more aggressive, more short-tempered. You're not as patient with that person. Because if you feel unloved, that person's not loving you, why would I be patient with my responses? This, this is how we, how we tend to act. We've got a whole bunch of people who are family, but there's drama and there's disconnection. And that's why if you go out to a restaurant, take a look around, you'll most likely see at least one table where there's a family and every person is head down or disconnected. Because I think I'm finding more love from people on the other side of this screen than I am from you. See, we've got the inner emptiness inside of us and we want to feel loved and we want to feel appreciated. And can I say this? You should, especially from a spouse, from a family member. You have this expectation of I should feel love from you, but I'm not. So because I'm not getting it here, I'll look there. You never laugh at my jokes, but this girl at the office, she always laughs at my jokes. You never seem to ask how I am, but he always asks how I am. And when I'm with my friends, I feel appreciated and validated. And when I'm at work, I feel respected. And so we go around with an unloved feeling, and everywhere we go, there's drama, and we wonder why. And if we're honest, it's because we go those places with an unloved feeling. So what do we do with that? Now, this is really awkward and tense, so let's stop talking about us, and let's talk about Jacob for a moment, okay? Everyone ready to move on? Let's go to Scripture. 
We're going to look at the life of a man named Jacob. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 29 in a minute. And I'm going to swap mics. I don't know why this guy's giving me a problem. Let's go handheld. Let's we changed the batteries between services, but it didn't seem to care. So let's go handheld. So we're going to be in Genesis 29. And before we read there, I want to give you a little bit of history about a man named Jacob. And so Jacob's grandfather was Abram. And Abram was a man that God made a promise with. He said, through you, Abram, I'm going to bless the whole world. In fact, that's where we get the Jewish nation. He says, through your offspring, the world will be blessed. And later in life, Abram has a child named Isaac, the child of promise. And Isaac has two sons, and we say Isaac has Jacob and Esau. But the reality is Isaac had Esau and Jacob because Esau was actually the older, just by a few seconds. But those few seconds changed the course of Jacob's life. Because in this culture at this time, thousands of years ago, the firstborn male would inherit the birthright, he would inherit more of the estate than the other siblings and would be looked at as the promised child. Like, you're going to carry on the family name. You're going to take care of the family as we get older. And so here's Esau, a few seconds older than Jacob. And we read in Genesis that Esau is loved by Isaac, but Jacob is despised. And so this younger sibling, by a few seconds, because they were twins, is constantly living with this feeling of unloved by dad. And it gets to the point where he deceives his father, his aging, blind father. He goes into his tent, pretends to be Esau. And Isaac says, is that you, my son Esau? And Jacob says, yes, it is. And he deceives his father and steals his brother's blessing. Prior to this, Jacob had already taken his brother's birthright. He traded him a meal for his birthright. He took advantage of his hungry, dying brother. And so look at Jacob's life. We see the actions, deception, lying, stealing, taking. But if we peel back the layers, we realize Jacob is unloved. Not loved by dad, not loved by a brother, not chosen. And it gets to the point where his mother, Rebecca, the one person who might express love to him says, you've got to get out of here. Your brother has vowed to kill you. So go flee to my brother Laban's house and stay with him for a while till all this family drama cools off. Okay, everyone sigh a little bit. Doesn't your family already seem a little bit better? Yeah. All right. So Jacob is on the run, but he hasn't yet dealt with what's going on in here. And we're going to see the choices that Jacob makes as a result of feeling unloved. So Genesis chapter 29 says, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, that's his uncle Laban, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So understand, Jacob is poor, he's penniless, he's on the run. And he's staying with his uncle for a month and he's working, we find out the herds that he has, the goat, the sheep, he's, he's farming. And his uncle says, okay, you're a relative, but I mean... Let me give you something here. Let's strike up a deal. Let's draft a contract. What would you like from me for all of your hard work? And Jacob's response shows us exactly how he thinks the unloved feeling is going to be fixed. So here's what he says. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was, say it with me, Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Notice the description in verse 17. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure 
and was beautiful. I love how kind the narrator is to Leah in this moment, don't you? He says, Leah's eyes, eh, a little weak. Okay, let me translate that for you. Leah was not gorgeous, everybody. Genesis is just being kind to her. And compare weak eyes, you're like, what, is she nearsighted, farsighted? What are we working with here? Like, no, she, she just didn't look good to the eyes of anybody. And it contrasts with her sister, Rachel, the younger, don't forget the younger, who was beautiful, lovely, gorgeous. So what's Jacob going to say? It says that Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Okay. So we've got to do a little bit of shaping here because we are reading ancient text thousands of years later in a different time and in a different culture. We have a Western American worldview that has been shaped by Ryan Gosling and romantic comedies and everything that we've come to know about romance and love. So we read this and we think, wow, what a man. In fact, some of you wives, you nudged your husband just now and said, would you work seven years for me? I can't seem to get you to pick up your clothes in seven minutes. What? <laughs> get some good amens from the back. Okay, so we, we read this with our lens, our context. So let me, let me shape you a little bit, okay? At this time, this is going to be a little different for us because we don't have this today. There was what was called a bride price where the interested groom would pay the father for the daughter. And the bride price at this time was 30 to 40 shekels. The wage at this time, if you worked, was one shekel a month. And do some quick math, and Jacob is willing to pay double the bride price for Rachel. In seven years, he would have accrued over 80 shekels. And he's saying, I'll work seven, I'll, I'll give you whatever it takes for Rachel. And we read that again, and we say, wow, like, yeah, man up, bro. Look at this guy. Look at Jacob. He's doing great. Why, why can't men be more like this? But notice, Jacob is acting very irrationally in this moment. He's not thinking logically. He's not thinking from a fixed place. We know that he's thinking from a broken state. He is unloved at home, and he looks at this young, lovely girl and says what you and I say when we feel unloved. Ah, that will fix me. I'll do whatever it takes for that. I'll compromise standards if I have to. I'll, I'll give up some integrity if I have to. I'll, I'll bend the rules just a little bit. I'll go all in. I'll sacrifice because surely that will satisfy me. Surely that experience, that person, that promotion, that career, that will help fix the unloved feeling that I carry. So Jacob looks at Rachel and how lovely she is, and he's not negotiating. He's not thinking clearly. He's saying, I just, I need, I need that. And we're going to see that that's really what this is about as we read on. I need that because I feel unloved. So what do you think Uncle Laban's going to think? I mean, for him, he's about to get 80 shekels out of this. So Laban says, and notice his response, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. Does Laban ever once actually agree to Jacob's terms? It's pretty vague. He's not saying, 
okay, the deal is set. Seven years and you receive Rachel. He's vague. He just kind of blurts out something you'd hear on a fortune cookie. He's trying to figure out, what does this mean? Uh, just stay here with me. I'll give, it, give her to you. Like, but Jacob's not thinking clearly. He doesn't come back and say, no, no, I just want to be clear. Like Rachel, seven years, Rachel. So he goes to work. So Jacob served, verse 20. He served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Really? Is it his love for her that are causing him to work this hard? Or is it possibly his love for himself that he's hoping to experience? Because notice what Jacob says next. Then Jacob said, All right, so it didn't happen exactly like that, but in my mind, that's exactly what went down. Product of the 90s. Shout out to Boys to Men. Blaze Church, happy sixth birthday. <laughs> How did we make it six years like this? Miracles. All right, let's preach. Jacob said, notice what he says, give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to make love to her. And if that kind of causes you to cringe a little, understand for hundreds of years, the Jewish scholars, when they were interpreting the Torah, cringed at verse 21. They genuinely, you can read it in, in commentaries, they had no idea for hundreds of years on how to interpret this verse because they had never yet come across something so indiscreet and blatant and crass as Jacob saying, I want to have sex with her. That's what he's saying. I just, I want to have sex with her. And if that causes us to think, ugh, guys, has anything changed in thousands of years? Are we not still a sexualized culture that is trying to fill this inner emptiness with sex with whoever? Yeah. With whatever experience, whatever, as long as we consent then it feels good. This is where Jacob is because he's unloved and he didn't receive love at home and he expected to receive love now out on his own and he sees this beautiful young girl and he says, I want to sleep with her and I'll do whatever it takes because if I can go to bed with Rachel, ah, then I will feel better. And you and I, if we're not careful, we will carry that unloved feeling into every moment and experience and think, ah, maybe I can drink the pain away. Maybe I can have a new relationship. Maybe I can get a new job. Maybe I can move. Then the drama will cease. But as we'll see, the drama just continues to unfold. So Laban brought together all the people and he gave a big feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her, to which I inserted my own commentary. Oh boy, <laughs> this is drama. This is some serious, again, you should leave here feeling really good about your family. <laughs> and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? 
I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you, say this word with me, deceived me? Now, very practically, let's just speak for a moment. How in the world does this happen? Here's how it happens. In this culture, the bride would have been very heavily veiled all day long until she entered the bridal chambers with the groom. There was no indoor electricity, and they've been drinking all day, somebody. It's a wedding. And so when Jacob gets in that tent, he, again, he's just trying to fix his feelings. So I'm sleeping with whoever's in here. And he wakes up, and it's Leah. And the words out of his mouth, they're interesting. Because he says, why have you deceived me? And in the Hebrew, the same word that's used for deceit here between Jacob and Laban is the same Hebrew word that's used for deceit between Jacob and his father, Isaac. In fact, it gets more ironic with Laban's reply. Because Laban replied and said, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Do you see what is taking place for Jacob in this moment? Jacob was the younger, who sidestepped his older brother Esau by being deceptive to his father. His father Isaac, who at one point reaches out in the dark, expecting to touch Esau, and is told, you're touching Jacob. Now Jacob, reaching out in the dark, expecting to touch Rachel, finds out he's touching Leah. And Laban goes, <laughs> around here, the younger does not sidestep the older. I just wonder if his sister Rebecca didn't text him before this moment <laughs> to tell him about the family drama that Jacob caused back home, where the younger sidestepped the older. See, it's just drama where Jacob's going because he's carrying this unloved feeling, this unwanted, this unheard, this not appreciated, and he's expecting Rachel will fix it. Rachel will be my savior. And let me just say this to all of us. At times in our lives, we can go to bed with Rachel and we wake up and realize it's Leah. And what I mean by that is you go to bed expecting this is what will fix me, this is what will cure me, and you wake up realizing it's not what I thought. It's not what I thought. And now we're going to see the drama just gets bigger and bigger. So Laban says, finish this daughter's bridal week, meaning late Leah's, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel, what does that say? Was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. So here we have now Jacob married to two women, sisters. And I want to just speak for a moment, if you're hearing this and you are completely offended, and you are saying, this is scripture? Like, maybe it's even prompting you and saying, yeah, this is exactly why I wouldn't be a believer. How could this be in the Bible? This is horrible. We were reading about polygamy and women being treated like property, sold and passed around. And if you continue reading in Genesis, you'll find out about slavery and racism. 
So what do we do with all of this? Now, I want to show you, because you've already seen it. Not one time have we seen God direct the decisions of any person at play in this family. Not one time has any person prayed, Lord, should I marry this one? Lord, should I marry her sister now? Because I'm pretty sure if he prayed that prayer, <laughs> the answer would come in loud and clear. Not one time are we seeing God's blessing or his direction over this moment. And if you read on in Genesis, you will see that when these are the choices of people, it continues to lead to destruction. So this is not prescriptive of how we should live our lives. This is descriptive of how a family live their lives. And yet we serve a God who is a God of redemption that says, despite your mess and despite your decisions, if you will look to me, I will rescue you. I will redeem you and I will take your mess and it will become a message of my grace and my love. But please do not get this twisted that somehow God is saying, go ahead and sleep with whoever you want and live however you want. We are seeing the destructive decisions of selfish, unloved people. And now we have an unloved Jacob married to an unloved Leah. Because think about how Leah feels in all this. She's already spent all of her life in the shadow of her younger, prettier sister, constantly going places, filling out job applications, having to put on there, I have weak eyes. I don't shoot it. Constantly having to just be reminded, my younger sister is prettier. My younger sister is the favorite. And now, how does her marriage start? Through deception. You don't think Laban's thinking, man, I got to get this daughter married somehow. She's the older. The only way I can even get her married is through deception, through lying. That's how her marriage starts. And now she knows that every time her husband is sleeping with her sister, he loves her more. Drama. So how will Leah fix the unloved feeling that she has? Here's what we read. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Come back to that. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely, notice what she says, my husband will love me now. So she looks at this child and she says, through this child, I will feel loved by Jacob. She conceived again and she gave birth to a son and she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Very interesting if you notice with every son that's born to Leah, she names him a Hebrew name directly related to the love she wants to experience from her husband. First, it's Reuben, which means to see. She says, surely my husband will see me. Then she has Simeon, which means to hear. Surely he'll listen to me. He'll pay attention to me. And on her third son, Levi, she says, surely, which means to attach. Now my husband will be attached to me. We'll finally be connected. And every time it's met with an unloved feeling still there, with an inner emptiness, with a void. I want you to notice the fourth son and what she says when he is born. 
She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, say that with me, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. This time. And that was my prayer for every person who would be a part of service today and be joining us online. That today, October 3rd, 2021, would be a moment where you say, this time, with the feeling of being unloved, with the feeling of not being heard, with the feeling of not being noticed, with me chasing person after person, experience after experience to fill an inner emptiness, this time, I will praise the Lord. This time, I will stop looking horizontally what can only be found vertically by praising the Lord. See, Leah, it said earlier, the Lord noticed she was unloved, and he was the one who blessed her with those children. And yet she took those blessings and brought them horizontally in hopes that she might be loved by Jacob. But this time, Judah, she praises the Lord. I want to read to you out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, the Bible I've read to you before, the Bible we read to our children. And this story makes it into the Jesus Storybook Bible. So if you think it was hard for me to explain polygamy and multiple wives to you all today, I do this with my seven and five-year-old somebody, all right? So pray for me. But here's how it reads in the end of this story. Sally Lloyd-Jones says this. No one loves me, Leah said. I'm too ugly. But God didn't think she was ugly. And when he saw that Leah was not loved and that no one wanted her, God chose her to love her specially, to give her a very important job. One day, God was going to rescue the whole world through Leah's family. Now, when Leah knew that God loved her in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter as much whether her husband loved her the best or if she was the prettiest. Someone had chosen her. Someone did love her with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. So when Leah had a baby boy, she called him Judah, which means this time I will praise the Lord. And that's just what she did. And you'll never guess the job that God gave Leah. You see, God looked at Leah and he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's exactly what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince, the prince of heaven, God's son. This prince would love God's people and they wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with all of his heart and they would be beautiful because he loved them like Leah. And if there is just one message that I would want you to hear on this Sunday, it is this. God sees you and God loves you. And you are beautiful to him. And he has a plan for your life. And I'm praying that today you will stop moving from person to person and experience to experience and say, this time I'm going to Jesus. This time I'm recognizing that I am a son of God, a daughter of God, that the mess of my past And even my present does not have to be the mess of my future because God is ready to make you a new creation today through Christ Jesus. This time, 
Praise the Lord. Because God demonstrates how much he loves you in this way. John writes in 1 John 4.10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it, it breaks my heart when I see so many people living in this world looking for love when they were created to find it in Jesus Christ. Yes. You were created to know your creator. And we feel unloved and we feel unwanted and we feel not heard and we don't feel appreciated. And that feeling causes us to act in a way where we withdraw, where we disconnect, where we become aggressive, where we throw all of our hopes and dreams into Rachel after Rachel after Rachel. And yet you were created to know the God who loves you. And what does that do to that feeling of not being loved by a family member? But here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't mean that we just walk out of here today and say, you know what? It's all right. Doesn't matter if my spouse ignores me. Doesn't matter if my kids aren't speaking to me. Doesn't matter if I'm not appreciated at work. It, I just gotta, I gotta get past that. No, it's, that's not it. But here's what it does mean when you understand the love of God. That feeling of being unloved and unappreciated and not heard, we can say this, it matters less. Yeah. It matters less. It still matters. And for many of us in this space, especially, can I speak to spouses for a moment? Those feelings that exist in your marriage of not being heard, of not feeling loved, of not feeling appreciated, Embrace the joy of talking about those feelings with your spouse, of, of, of unpacking that with a counselor. Don't just brush that to the side. Don't just brush that feeling that you may have of your children, of, of friends that you just don't feel loved. Explore that with the Lord. But understand as well, God loves you. God has always loved you. God looks at you and he does not define your worth and beauty the way this world does. That says your worth and beauty comes from your figure, from your accomplishments, from what you've done. No, you're lovely because he loves you. Yes. You are beautiful because he loves you. Yes. And when you receive that and understand that, your life begins to change. Start to live for the Lord. This time, say that with me. This time, I will praise the Lord. And today, we're going to celebrate the greatest act of love, Jesus dying on the cross for us, as John writes, as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and remember, his love will not give up on us. His love never ends. It never fails. It never stops. He loves us. And I want you to remember the love of God this week. As you have dramatic family moments, Ask yourself, am I acting this way because I don't feel loved right now? I'm going to remember the love of the Lord. It's going to help me manage this moment differently. So I want to pray over you today that you would leave here knowing the love of God in its fullness, in its depth, and that we would worship him through the Lord's Supper. So bow your heads with me. Our team is going to join on stage as we get ready to worship. And I want to pray. And if this morning you're in a place where you're saying, Pastor Keith, I just want to know more of the depth of God's love today. 
Maybe you have family drama. Maybe you are experiencing that unloved feeling. Maybe you're not. And for all of us, we're saying, I just want to know more of his depth, of this greatness, of his love. As I pray, would you extend your hand to the Lord this morning? Father, I thank you in this space as we are declaring together, we want to know your love in greater ways. We want to experience the fullness of your love that changes us. And so God, I pray for every person in this space that they would know how much you love them today. Father, you know every past, you know every story, you know every present, you know all that we have gone through. And you love us. I thank you for the gospel that declares in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. Lord, I pray for the one right now who has been going from relationship to relationship in hopes that one more partner, one more night of sex will satisfy this inner emptiness. God, I pray today that the truth of your word reaches their heart and that they would recognize that is not your plan for their lives. That is not your best. I pray for the teenager, the student, who is throwing all of their approval, all of their hopes for acceptance into accomplishments. Father, I pray that they would rest today in the truth that you love them and that you're proud of them, that they would live for you. Father, I pray for the spouse today that seems to be so caught up in their wants and their desires and is disconnected from their spouse. Father, I pray today that our hearts are being stirred to come back to your love so that we might love freely. Father, do your healing work in our relationships today. Do your healing work in our family today. In the dramatic moments that will unfold this week, may we be reminded that you love us. And that changes everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.